Thank you, choir. In our first reading, the children introduced us and reminded us of God's good creation. And in our second scripture reading, we find God's good creation groaning. From the letter, from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 22 through 27. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with groans too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We celebrate the written word of Scripture. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Please pray with me. Holy Spirit, pray with us and in us and for us in groans too deep for words that we might hear a word of life for the whole world. Amen. I've just completed my third month with you, and I'm so grateful for all that I am experiencing here in community and for all that I am learning from you. It's amazing to watch the deacons at work bringing tender care to folks within this congregation in so many ways, seen and unseen. Every Sunday, I look forward to hearing the choir and the beauty of their music. And I'm energized by the vital life of this church beyond our worship, all the ways, all the ways this congregation serves the broader community together. There is one part of our life, of your life, where I am particularly in awe. It is this congregation's long-standing, faithful commitment to responding to climate emergency. You have been at the leading edge of this presbytery and really the leading edge of churches in facing the hard truth of climate change, recognizing it as crisis and acting. This church was an early and serious adopter of solar power and renewable energy. You've done meticulous work on your carbon footprint and then you've taken action based on your study as evidenced by the recent repair and expansion of your solar array. You have divested from fossil fuel companies and you have been a leading advocate nationally for the Presbyterian Church USA to do the same. Just yesterday, this congregation brought to Presbytery an overture that passed that will again, again urge our national denomination to divest. And along with your clear action, you've led the broader community in learning, hosting the transformative Green Chautauqua Lecture Series, and you've shown up 
You've shown up in protest, insisting that our government at every level act responsibly and swiftly in the face of climate emergency. I've appreciated the Sunday seminars every third Sunday sponsored by the Climate Action Team, and particularly the last two sessions on the deep grieving. The deep grieving that accompanies awareness of how badly we are harming our planet and the deadly seriousness of that harm. In the January conversation, there was a particularly sobering moment when someone said and others agreed, I'm beginning to think that in this climate emergency, we may have passed the point of no return. There was a holy silence in that room as the possibility was named out loud. Silence that reflected for me an awareness of how very real that possibility may be. For some time now, scientists have been warning us of what they call climate tipping points. We know the general trajectory of climate change. Our net generation of carbon is heating the planet up. Scientific consensus is that if we reach one to two degrees Celsius of warming, serious environmental tipping points could start occurring. Things like ice collapse. We know that ice sheets are receding, but certain levels of warming could cause systems to collapse, not only of ice, but other biospheres. We are seeing the collapse of coral reefs, also at risk for vulnerable forest systems, threatened by changing temperatures and fires and other climate effects. What's even worse is that the collapse of one system hastens the collapse of other systems because we are. It is all interconnected. One to two degrees Celsius of warming puts us in the danger zone. The Paris Climate Accord that the U.S. is withdrawing from, even if it's fully and faithfully implemented, it's likely to still result in three degrees of warming. Our best effort so far is not enough. And so phrases like global warming and climate change are no longer sufficient descriptors of what is going on. We are plainly in climate emergency, and we must act accordingly. Within the climate action community, this has been brought into even sharper fo focus with the release of a paper by Jem Bendel of the University of Cambria that's getting substantial attention. It's entitled Deep Adaptation, a map for navigating climate tragedy. As I understand it, Bendel's main point is that as part of our climate activism, we also need to start preparing for these tipping points, which he views as inevitable. These tipping points, when tipped, will result in dramatically different ways of living on this planet, so we need to prepare for what he calls deep adaptation. The real danger of tipping points does not seem to be contested. The contested issues seem to be whether these tipping points are, are, are in fact inevitable or whether dramatic concerted action could still avert them and when they might occur. Bendel says 10 years. Other scientists uh, say we may have a bit more time, but to be clear, there seems to be consensus that these are serious possibilities and at this point, maybe even probabilities. Now that, that is a broad overview, a very serious overview. 
And I need to say what should be obvious. I bring no special expertise to this. I am not a scientist. I am learning with you. I am learning from you. I'm grateful for Barbara and Peter and the Climate Action Team for pointing me to a lot of the materials that I've read in preparation for this sermon. I offer this background to underscore the seriousness of this statement spoken in our conversation about climate grieving. I am beginning to think that in this climate emergency, we may have passed the point of no return. The question that rises up in me when I first heard that statement and even now is, how do we live? How do we live in a world like that? Because that's not just a statement. It's almost a cry. Almost maybe a groan. A groan of grieving, the grieving of activism that all this work might come to naught. But even more than that, it is an existential groan. This, our planet, our only home, our life. If we're talking about the possibility that we have, may have passed the point of no return with care of our planet, if that's the groan that is welling up within us, how do we live in a world like that? This morning's scripture, this passage from Romans, takes us right into the midst of creation's groaning. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan for the redemption of our bodies. The letter to the Romans is at the heart of the Apostle Paul's writings. Paul has been feverishly traveling all over the known world, bringing the urgent good news of God's love for us in Jesus Christ, birthing churches in one city and then moving on to the next, all the while chased by his opponents everywhere he goes. And Paul wants to visit Rome now. He wants to go to the heart of the empire, and so he writes them a letter of introduction, this letter to the Romans. And he makes his case. He lays it all out. What God has been doing all along, God is doing in Jesus Christ. We have been enslaved to death, but in Jesus Christ and in the spirit that now enlivens us, God is setting the whole world free, saving the whole world from everything that does us harm. It's good news, bigger and better than we ever could have imagined. And at the heart of all that, in the midst of all this good news, in chapter 8 of the letter to the Romans, we hear this groaning. Creation groans. We groan. The Spirit groans, praying for us in groans too deep for words. Notice a couple things. The Apostle Paul writes of creation as a sentient conscious being. Creation. Everything that God has created, including us, what one writer has called the realm of nature and the humans that inhabit it. Creation has a pulse and a life and it groans. Next, notice that this text takes our groaning seriously. We groan with all creation as a part of it. Every bit of everything groaning and then the spirit joins in with us. One writer says, if incarnation and the cross show us how God enters into human experience, this groaning spirit, this groaning spirit shows us that God stays with the broken world all the way through. And notice the deep connection the deep ecology, the web 
the root system, the ecosystem of connection here, creation, us, the spirit of Christ, all connected, all groaning in the pains of labor, groaning for the redemption of our bodies, praying in groans too deep for words. So when we groan, I am beginning to think that in this climate emergency, we may have passed the point of no return. Our groaning for creation, our groaning within creation is part of creation. Creation's groaning. It's all right here in this scripture. And there's something else here in this text. Alongside this groaning that at first blush may not make a whole lot of sense. Hope. For in hope, we have been saved. In the midst of all this groaning, hope. Now that may seem out of place because we have popularized this concept of hope most of the time to mean something like wishful thinking. I hope I win the lottery. That's not hope. That is a mere fancy. Hope is grittier than that. Rebecca Solnit writes in her book, Hope in the Dark, that hope is all about uncertainty. Uncertainty. She says, hope is not the belief that everything was, is, or will be fine. No, hope begins with the acknowledgement that we don't know what will happen, that life is uncertain all the time. Solnit writes, hope locates itself in the premises that we don't know what will happen and that in the spaciousness of uncertainty, there is room for us to act. Hope is the belief that what we do matters, that the lives that we live matter, even though how and when it may matter, who and when it may impact are not things that we can know beforehand. Hope is about uncertainty, about not knowing, and in that not knowing, finding the freedom and the power to act. Joanna Macy, an environmentalist and Buddhist teacher, speaks of that in terms of what she calls active hope. Like Solnit, Macy locates our hope in our uncertainty and even more deeply in our experience of suffering, the pain that we feel along with the rest of creation, the ache. In that shared pain and groaning, we experience together a deeper sense of connection with each other and with all creation. We clarify our longing, the world we are longing for and groaning for a world that is healed and whole. And with all that, Macy says, we get to choose how we will respond. For Joanna Macy, hope is practice. And so she recommends what she calls the work that reconnects, which was the subject of our most recent Chautauqua lecture. She describes it as this continuous spiral of practice in which we express our gratitude, gratitude for the earth. We honor our pain as we ache with the brokenness of the world. We experience a deeper sense of connection, connection with each other and with the world, and then we go forth and then we act and we do it all over again, all at the same time, over and over again. We experience uncertainty. That uncertainty leads to groaning in that groaning for that which we love. We find a deeper sense of connection and out of that deeper sense of connection, we find our way to hope, to a life worth living, even, even as we groan. 
All of that is right here in this scripture too. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it patiently. Like Solnit and Macy, this scripture locates our hope in the midst of our uncertainty and our groaning connected to all creation. In our groaning together, And in our hope together, we experience a deeper sense of belonging with each other and with all creation. And then the scripture adds to that, to that groaning and to that longing and to that connection. It adds to that the healing, restoring presence of the spirit. God at work, the spirit of Christ groaning within us, at work in us. As one of my teachers says of this text, what we see here is God's work of salvation for all creation, the gradual process of world restoration and healing. God's work of world healing alive in us, in our groaning and in our belonging and in our longing for a world made whole. The God who created the world in love has never stopped loving it. The creation story that the children read with Libby and Patrick and this groaning scripture and the life we live here together right now, they are all connected. In the beginning, the spirit hovered over all creation. Ever since then, the Spirit has been groaning with all creation. And even now, the Spirit is enlivening and empowering us to mend and to heal the world God loves. We hurt for the world God loves because we love it too. We love the world God loves and we're part of the world God loves. And so we long to be part of its healing, to be part of our own healing. And so so before I sit down... Before I sit down, I want to offer an even more specific answer to the question, how do we live in a world like this? I heard Congressman John Lewis interviewed on the On Being podcast. He lived through the worst days of the civil rights struggles in the 1960s, and in the interview, he was describing how he made it through. Even in those days that he despaired that he might never see the day that they were working for, and he said this, You have to have this sense of faith that what you are moving toward is already done. You live as if you're already there. And in the living as if, we create the world we long to see right here, right now, in us. We long to see a world that is healed and whole, where we live sustainably and in connection with everything that is, and where every creature, every creature can live and thrive. With that longing and with that love, the Spirit empowers us to stand in the midst of creation's groaning and in the midst of our own and hope. The Spirit enlivens us to live as if the world we long for is already here. Hope doesn't require that we know how it will all work out. Hope doesn't require our sunny optimism. It certainly doesn't require that we stop going, groaning. Belonging to each other and all creation and groaning together with the Spirit as if in the pains of labor, hope only requires that we long for a better world, even as we groan, and that with God, we live our lives together. 
to make it so.